Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and I am so excited for today's episode. I have author Virginia Cantra joining me. Virginia, thank you so much for joining me today. Bree, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've been writing since I was 11 and trying to bribe my younger cousins to go to bed. Um, <laughs> but my first novel was not published until I was 42. So uh, a little late to be a early bloomer or a you know top 30 under 30. But I have since published over 30 novels of romance and paranormal romance, romantic suspense, and women's fiction. So I'm delighted to be able to do what I love and get paid for it. Yeah, that's so inspiring. That I um, just turned 37 in November, and I I came to romance late as like reading the genre. But mm-hmm. I have, and I've been wanting to write for like really the past like two years. And I just am like, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. So when I hear the occasional like, yep, I didn't sell my first novel till I was in my 40s. I'm like, okay, girl, you you have time. You can chill out. <laughs> you totally do. Um, in fact, I tell the story. I My husband, who is amazing, used to call me an artist in search of a medium. Okay. <laughs> And so when our, I had been writing young adult fantasy, and this is back in the days when I was writing on a typewriter and mailing my manuscripts to New York and I had small children at home. And so I would, you know, take five years to complete a manuscript and then I would send them in and I would get these long, encouraging two page, single spaced rejection letters back But finally then, again, my husband looked at me and said, as our youngest started off to kindergarten, what are you going to do when you grow up, babe? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I said, you know, I love reading about relationships. And I had a neighbor who had a garage stuffed with romance novels, and I would run over and like grab a stack to read when, when, when I could. And so I thought, wow, this is this is really where my heart is. And so that's I started back in the day when when I was writing for Harlequin um, and did about fifteen novels for them. Um, I saw you had some some intimate moments. Yes, indeed, because at that point, Nora Roberts, Suzanne Brockman, Barbara Samuel O'Neill, who was writing as Ruth Wind, Jane Ann Krentz, Jenny Cruzy was writing you know, category romance. And I was like, these are all stories and authors that I really admired about writing about women who were doing strong and interesting things. And so that's that was my target market. Uh, I'm writing women's fiction now because my I, what I have to say has kind of expanded. And while I'm still really interested in writing about relationships, I want to sort of call, talk about all the relationships in a woman's life uh, and the woman's journey. So I would say that my my canvas is a little larger now, but the heart of the story is is still all about the people and the relationships for me. When did you realize creatively that you wanted to, I don't want to say necessarily pivot, but make that shift into writing women's fiction? Like when did, 
how did that come to you? Like, you know, it's time to do something a little different. Well, I had Carolina Dreaming, which was the last contemporary romance set on the Outer Banks that I wrote for Berkeley, came out in 2017 and won a Rita. And that was kind of a, a top of the mountain moment for me. Mm-hmm. But my children are now all adults. And I really was thinking about that broader canvas. And what I was finding was that while I still was really interested in the love and the relationship, I really wanted to tell fuller stories. And not that family wasn't always an important part and not that a romance doesn't isn't a, a, a fully fleshed story, but I just was very conscious of the parts I was leaving out. And at the same time, I've been thinking about the books that shaped me, not just as a writer um, and as a woman, but as a person. The the books that kind of stamped my soul and shaped my thinking and my view of the world. And a lot of them were books that I read in my early teens. So books like Little Women, books like Anne of Green Gables. The first chapter book I ever read was The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And so it was really with my retellings of Little Women that I was looking at not just what they meant to me as a young girl, but how my thinking about them has changed. So they shaped me. But what's interesting is that as I've revisited some of these really formative novels, the way that I look at them and the feelings that I have about them has changed. And so they're their books are perfect, right? I, I'm not, I sometimes say what I do is not retellings, they're reimaginings mm-hmm. because they're the stuff that got left out <laughs> or, yeah. or that, that what do I have to say about these archetypal characters or these situations now with the perspective that I have as a, as an older woman? What do you think it was about those books that shaped you? Like, is there kind of like a common thread if you sit and look at it in all of them that is very similar or the same? Like when you think little women, especially as like teen girl version of you and like how you look at it now, like what is the piece of that, the the heart of that story that's imprinted on you or The Wizard of Oz? Like- well, they're actually different Different things about them really struck me. So mm-hmm. uh, to do Little Women, it was, there were things in that book, in Louisa May Alcott's book, that never, that went co- sort of totally over my head, like Meg's struggles as a young wife and mother, which are is in the second part of the book, Good Wives. I don't think I really paid attention to that growing up. Um, when I think about Amy, who is such a spoiled brat and who likes her. Um, What was interesting is you always get that story from the perspective of Joe, who is the star and narrator. And I wanted to go, what if, what does it mean to be the youngest in a family where all the personalities and roles are so clearly defined? So I wanted to tell the parts that I sort of thought were, were, that either I had glossed over or that I felt were left out. Part of that, of course, was romantic passion, which is something that Louisa only experienced tangentially, but has been an important part of my life. So that was part of the little women journey for me. 
For The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy Gale is a really ordinary little girl. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, I felt alternately like a really ordinary little girl or like I was just weird. And I think the thing about Dorothy Gale is there's a certain extent to which she's the first great American heroine. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's thrown into a situation where that would defeat most princes on a quest. And she's armed with nothing but kindness and kick-ass shoes. And she somehow not only has the resilience to do what needs to be done, but she is a catalyst in others' lives for them to realize their dreams. So you take an ordinary person and you put them in extraordinary circumstances and they can become extraordinary. And I think something that these books have in common is that they are women's stories. They are women's voices. They are about girls making choices. And I think women's voices and choices, I don't want to get political here, but I think it's important to tell those stories. I think we need those stories. Yeah. And I think it's something special that you're doing, like with the, with the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale, um, as I was reading through it, because I mean, as a the Wizard of Oz was my favorite movie as a kid. My mom okay. still laughs about me, like skipping down the sidewalk, <laughs> talking, pretending like I'm Dorothy talking to um, what's lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! The, my favorite scene was whenever her and Toto meet the um, the professor. I think I professor out of the middle. Professor window. Marvel. She's like, yeah, thank, see you later, Professor, Professor Marvel, and thanks a lot or something. She's like, you would just skip down the sidewalk and say that. Um, so I think like, and and like you said, it's like, it's girl stories and it's about girls making choices. And it's like, even as you get older, I think this book was just a reminder of like, that girl still always in you, like make the choice. Now you're like the older version of her, like make choices for that girl. Like do right by that little girl that's still there. I just think- Thank like it's you. Very yes. What you're doing. Yeah. Well, that's that's totally it. I think that the other thing is that these are all coming of age stories, right? The Wizard of Oz, Little Women, Anne of Green Gables, which gets a big mention at the beginning of it's it's D. Gale's emergency reading book for the plane, mm-hmm. and is it is in fact the next the next classic that I'm taking on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So. But but they're all they're all coming of age novels. Now, one thing that has happened is that our coming of age is no longer in our teens. Right. Okay. We come of age in our twenties. And so because that's when we're expected to go out into the world and make good choices. Um so I I feel very comfortable aging up my heroines and when I send them out into the world. And bring them into the modern day. And yeah. I think that the pandemic complicated that for so many, that 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 ability to launch was compromised by the pandemic. And I started writing this book during the pandemic. And there was a point of time where I wanted magic. I mean, yeah. we've been very serious about it's the woman's escape. It's the woman's journey. It's about, But honestly, there's a great sense of fun about the book. And what I wanted is I wanted to go over the rainbow. I wanted to go anywhere, frankly. So we hit on the Wizard of Oz and 
I thought, okay, Dorothy always goes to the Emerald City. So initially I thought she would go, little little odd backstory, I thought she would go to Seattle, which is okay. the nicknamed the Emerald City. Yeah. But it didn't feel different enough. It didn't feel magic enough. And Ireland, the Emerald Isle, of course, has its own aura of otherness and magic and wonder. And what I really wanted to recreate was that iconic 1939 movie moment when Dorothy lands with a thump in Munchkin land and she's still in the gray environment of her aunt and uncle's farmhouse. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that movie on TV with my parents and that, and we had a color TV and that moment when she opens the door on the farmhouse of the farmhouse and she's in Technicolor. Yes. Yes. And that's what I wanted to recreate. And it was because I was, it was still, we still couldn't travel. We were sort of on lockdown and then there were various restrictions and it really wasn't safe. So I didn't get to go to Ireland until the, I was sort of at the line edit stage of the book and I'd done a lot of of um, research online. I Google mapped my way across Dublin. I was corresponding with a member of the writing pro, the English department in at Trinity College Dublin to get that part right. What I didn't know is that I would know it so well and so intimately that from the time our bus left the airport till we left. I had that same sense of wonder and of coming home. And I kept grabbing my husband's arm and going, honey, we're crossing the River Liffey. Or look, there's the Grand Canal. Or, well, if we want to go to the arts school, we need to cross the road because that's the the roof of the arts building. You know, as I'm as we're walking down the street towards the Trinity College campus. So it was it was a really magical visit. And I, I hope I hope that Dublin setting is is a strong part of the book that readers can kind of follow along and enjoy. You've touched on a couple of things I wanted to ask you. So okay. reimagining for versus retelling. I definitely think that is for sure what you're doing. How would you explain the difference between the two? I have a lot of respect for fan fiction. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think fan fiction gets right is it sort of seizes on undeveloped moments and develops them. But I also think that when you're doing a reimagining as opposed to a retelling, you're not simply changing one element of the story. So it's not, it's The Wizard of Oz, but it's set in modern times. Or it's the Wizard of Oz, but I've tweaked the backstory or changed the age of the characters. You actually need something to say, mm-hmm. which is an element of all good fiction. One of the things I wanted to talk about, and I know this sounds really um, co- a little more complicated than maybe it should, but I, I wanted to talk about the male gaze and writing okay. your own story. Mm-hmm. because it's not a spoiler to say that the thing that sends 
Dorothy Gale of the books, D. Gale, who is in the graduate writing program at the University of Kansas. She falls in love with a professor in the program who is a best-selling novelist. They have an affair, and without her knowledge or consent, he puts her in his book. Yes, he does. (laughs) Yes, he does. And he defines her. Mm -hmm. So he presents her to the world as Destiny Gale, this kind of creative vampire uh, who seduces her her older mentor and exploits his talent and fame uh, to write her own stories, but they're not original. This destroys her reputation. It destroys her self-esteem. It breaks her heart. And that's the reason that she flees to to Emerald Isle, to the Trinity College Dublin writing program. Yeah. And she's very aware, like, people know about this. Oh, yeah. She's trolled. I mean, yeah. she's it's he changes her name, but it doesn't take long. And and he he it's he writes her in a very sordid way. So she and, and his book is optioned for a movie. So she really comes in for this storm of online criticism. And in the department, her her reputation is shot. Part of the reason is because she's put her own dissertation on hold to be the muse and domestic slave of this great man. And so that was, you know, so, so she's she's under the practical, uh, humi- it didn't help her cause any that she's two years behind in her program because she hasn't been writing, she's been taking care of him. So that's how the story starts. And one of the things I wanted to write about was the way she finds her own voice and learns to tell her own story. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts. I highlighted it. Uh, I think she's talking to um, Miss Maeve Ward, and she says, that's why I'm here, to find my voice, to become new D. And you capitalized new and D. And I just love that. Yes, all I need is a fresh start. And of course, what's funny is she needs a little bit more than a fresh start. I mean, she has the resilience. She's got the talent. She has to borrow a line from The Wizard of Oz, the power inside her all along. But she needs to believe in herself and she needs to discover what she has to say. And all of the characters or many of the the female characters in that book, I'm dealing with different aspects of sort of being a woman and moving through the world Mm -hmm. from being harassed on the street to the casual academic misogyny, even at Trinity College. But I want you to see that the women have the power. I mean, the 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 women in the, her her mentors, Glenda Norton and Maeve Ward, who of course are the witches, um, have have power. I think there are lots of mother figures in the book who have power, and so part of Dee finding her own power is learning to recognize the strengths of the women she encounters, and she makes a great female friend. One of, um, now this is, I feel like a very simple line, but I really thought that it was just so powerful. I'm like, I feel like this is me. You wrote, maybe I was still telling myself stories to make me feel better. Can you talk about that? I think I told you that my, probably in the intro before we started recording, that my first stories were told to my younger cousins to bribe them to go to bed. Yes. (laughs) And 
I've always told myself stories. And I think one of the powers that Dorothy has, because she has this rather difficult childhood with a famous artist mother who kept decamping and leaving Dee to kind of look out for her younger sister or, you know, abandoning both of them with the aunt and uncle in Kansas while her artistic mother pursued her art. Dee survives by telling herself stories. Mm -hmm. She makes things better by telling herself stories. And I think it's one of, when I say she's an American heroine, some of it is she's making stuff up, but it's her ability to make stuff up that gives her a certain optimism, a certain faith, the ability to survive in tough times. It's, it's her belief in a brighter future. I think some of that at least used to be a, fun, a part of the American character. And I think it's some of what we do as storytellers, or what I have always done as a storyteller. I don't write books with miserable endings. I feel that if a reader gives me their money and the hours of their time that they have invested in my characters, that I want to at least leave them with hope. Mm-hmm. So big spoiler, there's, there's, <laughs> this book does not have, does not end sadly. Um, and so I will say that, that growing up the parts of my life that, that weren't great, I've always told myself it could be better. Yeah. And that's why I love that line so much. I was like, I feel like this is, I mean, I can't speak for every woman, but I was like, this is something I think a lot of women have to do every day. Like you said, like you just have to tell yourself like, I just have to make it through this workday. It's it's not always going to be like this. Things are going to get better. You know, like we're constantly telling ourselves stories and it is kind of, I think for survival, just to like get through the day. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think what's interesting is that even though Dee questions herself, you know, maybe this is all going to be better, or maybe I'm just making myself stories, telling myself stories to make myself feel better. And I do think what D what changes for D from the stories that she told her sister to, so that they both could survive to the stories she's able to tell herself at the end is that her vision improves. You know, one of the reasons that she's able to be seduced and exploited by this older professor is she doesn't see clearly. Right. Yes. And by the end of the book, she is seeing things a lot more clearly. So she's still telling stories, but she's also living a life. And she's so, so you know, it's it's make good choices, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that I think that happy endings are great, but I think a wonderful thing is that you can take steps towards your happy ending. And I don't want to give away too much about the ending of the book. But it's not a happy ending. It's a great beginning. Mm, yeah. Well, I feel like, well, all I always like, I, I read the book version of the book, prob- of, the, of the story, probably like 2015, 2016. And for anyone that's listening, I mean, I grew up loving the movie, but reading the book is such a totally different experience. But I do always think of Dorothy and I think of Judy Garland and I think of the movie and it's like, what happened to her? You know, what happened next kind of thing. So with the way that this book ended, I was like, this is perfect. And just the fact that you gave it, the way that you gave it to us, I was like, man, I've always wondered 
what would Dorothy be doing now? You know, so I, I think it's just really special. So like, had you always known you wanted to reimagine Dorothy's story or like, how did we get the book? So I said, I, we've been doing sort of these, I, I've been looking at these novels that formed me and I did yeah. Little Women, which is so iconic. I don't think there's a woman writer alive who hasn't at some point imagined she was Joe March. Right. <laughs> Dorothy Gale, not so much. Um, it was actually, and I, I, I know I keep nodding to him, but it was my husband who said, well, what about The Wizard of Oz? You loved those books growing up. Shout out. And to I was husband. like, yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, honey, you can't write women's fiction about The Wizard of Oz. That's a really stupid idea. Um, because I'm not always as kind as he is. But it, but the thing is, is it wouldn't let me go. Yeah. He I kept planted going, the seed and now you're like, yeah, it was like, it was like, is it so well, stupid? I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. So, so when my boys were younger, I coached their Odyssey of the Mind teams. And I don't know if you or your listeners know what Odyssey of the Mind is, but basically it's a worldwide problem that's set for kids from elementary grades up through, I think, high school. And so teams are divided by grade and they can choose different kinds of problems. But generally, there's both, a, they need to create both a narrative um, and a practical solution. So it could be, for example, take a light bulb, a two by four, a purple balloon, make a convincing story about it and, do, and create a car that moves. And that sounds like an exaggeration, but believe me, if you're coaching, 10 year olds and they, and they have to do all the work themselves. You can, you can point them to resources, but adults cannot, this is not like your standard school project. You really can't help. Writing, reimagining The Wizard of Oz was like that. It was like, okay, so I've got a girl and a dog and a scarecrow and I'm going to do what? It's like, here's my purple balloon. How am I going to fit this in? So, for example, with the character of Toto, I had to look at the dog and go, what does the dog do? Because I actually at one point was going, well, what are quarantine rules, Moving, getting pets to and from Kansas to Ireland? And then I'm like, why does the dog matter? Why, does, why is there a dog in The Wizard of Oz? It's someone smaller for Dorothy to take care of. Yeah, yeah. It's someone who makes her stronger. It's a catalyst for the action. There are no, I mean, here's a movie spoiler. Dorothy's about to get in the wizard's balloon when her dog darts off and changes the course of the story. So I'm going, what are the equivalents of that for my 25-year-old graduate student? Who's going, who's going to make us care about her? Who is she going to care about? Why does she feel responsible? And that's when you start to then dig in and you go, it's her little sister. It's her little sister, Antonio. So when they were little, her sister called her Dodo. She called her sister Toto. And you make it work in that context. And it was, so it's full of that kind of, do I want to do it this way? Do I want to try it that way? I'm not a, I'm not a Athena sprung full blown from the head of the gods kind of writer. I'm a, how would this work? Do I like that kind of writer? Touching back on the now that you are writing these amazing like women's fiction 
titles. Um, do you think that the, and, and, and you touched on, I think you put it so beautifully earlier, like now you get to put in the things that you had to leave out. Did that take some learning and adjusting for you after writing romance for so long? The thing that was the biggest struggle, quite honestly, was I shifted in the Little Women books from third person to first person Mm -hmm. and from male point of view to all female point of view, which really required a level of intimacy and immediacy that I wasn't initially very comfortable with. I thought when I was writing my contemporary romance that I was pretty deeply in the skin. I wrote what they call deep third person point of view. So seen through the camera lens, through the feel, through the filter of the feelings, emotions, experience, mindset of the characters. So you wouldn't think it would be that big a shift to write in first person. You'd think it would just be a matter of pronouns, but it wasn't. Um writing in first person with that kind of, I am in your head and I can't get out was a learning curve. And I really like it because I feel that it let me tap a level of emotion that I hadn't tapped before. And I enjoyed that. I think that the things I always wanted to write about were there, but certainly I couldn't have developed the level of female friendship between, say, Riti and Dee if I were writing romance. Not that friendship isn't an important component of women's lives, but you just have, you know, if you have 90,000 words and you're completely focused on the arc of the relationship and the arc of two separate characters equally, then you, you don't have a lot of time to develop secondary characters. And in, for example, the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale, there's Dorothy who owns the story. It's her story. She, it's her journey. But you have other characters on the journey. You have the Tin Man. You have the Scarecrow. You have the Cowardly Lion. And they also need their arcs. And so balancing the competing needs of those was a new problem to solve with this book. But it was great fun. And it also was really fun to be able to write male point of view again. What What's fun for you about putting out these? Re- like, I think if you have not seen or read The Wizard of Oz, I hope like part of the fun of experience in these books is that it is like going back now and watching it and reading the book. Uh, it's, the book is so different from the movie. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but like for you, like... Fun wise, I think if you had to narrow it down to like one thing, what is your fun in in doing the reimaginings? Well, I love the Easter eggs. Yeah, I do. I, I and I did include. I know. I, I, as I said, I grew up. I read all fourteen books. They were among. It was. I read them before I read Narnia, which is a wow. classic. I will okay. never, never, never touch. Well, because my mother had her mother's copy, not of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, or not of the wonderful Wizard of Oz, but of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, maybe is the, I'm, I'm looking at it across my office and I'd have to go to peer and see what the, whether it's in Oz or of Oz. But she has this book that was given to a great, great uncle in 1909 for, by Aunt Hildy at Christmas time. And as I was when she couldn't take me to the library, I would go poke in 
my family bookshelves. And I found this book and it had pictures. And I thought, I can read a book that has pictures because I'm seven. Um, and I read it. And then I read, and then once I read that one, I had to go to the library and read the other 13 Oz books. Then I am of the generation that watched The Wizard of Oz on TV. I won't say for all of the 30 years that it was broadcast on CBS, but it used to be, you know, we didn't have a choice of movies or a choice of channels or, or cable or any of that. Um, you, If CBS broadcast The Wizard of Oz at at the holidays, by golly, the family sat down and watched The Wizard of Oz at the holidays. And I can distinctly remember the witch coming on and running into the kitchen so I wouldn't have to watch when she's going, Auntie M, Auntie M, I'm here, I'm here, you know, and then the, the globe glows green and it's Auntie M, oh, it was terrifying. I, I always ran into the kitchen for that part. Um but I'm sorry, I totally have digressed here. No, I, my favorite it? part is like the when the the house falls on the witch and the feet, the legs disappear. I don't know why. That's I mean, it's favorite. so cool, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and I, as I said, so yes, there's so much fun in including nods. So I included nods to the book, and I did really go to the book for those archetypal moments. But I, I also included the movie and I included references to Wicked as well, mm -hmm. because I mean, I had I had to include references to Wicked because the song for good was on autoplay the entire time I was writing this book, because so much of it is about the people who come into our lives, the found family that changes us. Well, I love the title of the book. I love that it's the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale. Like I've been thinking a lot about stories like hers and so many other stories and how like, you know, we've talked reimaginings you hear in romance specifically, people use the word retelling a lot. And I was chatting with a fellow podcaster some months ago and I was like, do you think what we consider fairy tales is like not necessarily changing, but expanding. Like, is it, you know, becoming even bigger? And I would, I would say, I feel like Dorothy's story is a fairy tale. So I, like, I wanted to ask you about the title. Um, and if, if that was all on you, if that's something you came up with your editor, but when you, cause I, I saw on your website, you, you still, you, you loved fairy tales too. So is that something do you, you, do you think, what we consider fairy tales now are changing. Would you consider Dorothy's story? Because it is timeless, right? Uh, you know, I love you. And I'm so glad you brought this up. And now I feel like a total fraud because I actually stole that from L. Frank Baum. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I want you to think I'm like this. T okay, I'm, I'm walking around my office clutching the microphone. So I can reach my copy of The Wizard of Oz okay. and read you and read to you from the front of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which is also in the front of the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale. This is from the intro in written in 1900. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz was written solely to please children of today. It aspires to being a modernized fairy tale in which the wonderment and joy are retained and the heartaches and nightmares are left out. I love that. And I love the next one you put. Witches can be right. 
Well, my one of my favorite lines in the book, which is not a spoiler because it's going on a little social media card on as soon as we get finished recording this podcast, is from Maeve Ward, which is women who tell the truth have always been called witches. Yeah. I love Maeve. She's tough, but I love Maeve. Uh, to, she was, when you ask me about fun and I say, okay, I was really drawing on on the book's that have come before the reimaginings that have come before. I mean, there's, she, she looks, she doesn't look like the witch in the book. She looks like the witch in the movie. And her sentiment was, was part of my feelings about her were definitely inspired by the musical Wicked. Mm, Okay. You know, I just tried to, you know, it's, it's because it's fun, right? Fun, Yeah. That's, 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 and and I hope readers do. I don't, I do think that there's enough in there about Dee's journey itself that you don't necessarily have to be familiar with either the book or the movie. But I think if you are, then, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's like a Where's Waldo book. It's like, oh, I see that. I know that. That's a reference to the green spectacles. That's a reference. I mean, whatever it is that floats your boat and however big an Oz geek you are, I hope you can dig in. So what is next for you? Like, what are you working on now? Or what have, you know, what can we expect next from you? Well, I did mention um, that, in fact, at the at the beginning of the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale, when she's going down to the hotel bar on her first night, she makes a reference to her emergency book for the plane. Anne of Green Gables, that's right. Which is Anne of Green Gables. And I really thought I would be doing a Shakespeare retelling next, but I couldn't quite let go of that Anne of Green Gables (laughs) thing. Everyone wants to be that passionate, plucky, orphan, imaginative orphan Anne. Um, Now, one thing I did do, of course, is I've, I've been gone from American heroines to North American heroines, since Anne is definitively Canadian. And in my book, she will not be, Um, which I hope will not earn me the enmity of the millions of Anne fans out there. But I think Anne is interesting because, again, you know, I say you look for, what do I have to say? You know, what's my way into the story? And you picked up on this beautifully and set it up great at the beginning of this interview when you said, you know, these are the stories we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. In the world of little, of my little women, of the March Sisters duology, Louisa May Alcott's Little Women does not exist. So my March Sisters are the March Sisters. sisters. In the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale, L. Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz was never written and there is no 1939 movie Dorothy Gale is, is, D. Gale is the Dorothy Gale of that universe. But now I'm thinking about stories and what are the stories we tell ourselves and how are they useful and when are they useful and when do we have to let them go and do something else? And that's really a place where I was interested in going. And so I am currently writing, and the working title is Anne of a Different Island, about a a young woman who uh, grows up on Mackinac Island, Michigan, which is an isolated island with horse-drawn carriages. 
And so even though she has two loving parents, she imagines herself as Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables is her role model. And so she tries to be, she, you know, she aspires to be Anne of Green Gables. And then the, the story will come in as she sees how love and life maybe aren't what she thought they were from books. Yeah. So both how they help her, how they help her live and where it's time to let them go and live her own story. Well, my last question I have for you, knowing Mm -hmm. what you know now, what would you go back and tell Virginia at the beginning of her writing journey, her writing career? Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. This is a long road. Over 30 books. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you will have over 30 books. I mean, well, I think, I think, I think you can, writing is such an isolating business that it's absolutely wonderful when you can connect with people. So whether you're connecting with other aspiring writers, whether you're connecting with fellow readers at book clubs or, or through a podcast like this one, thank you so much. Um, We write because we're really seeking connection. And so as you're writing, remember that. Remember that you're, you're, you want to access your own heart and be authentic there and, and be open to other people and their, their thoughts and their hearts. And, and don't, don't isolate yourself. You know, if you have an opportunity to give somebody a hand, do it. If, you have the courage to reach out to a a model or an idol, write a fan letter, leave a review, do it. Um, Yeah. Don't, don't isolate yourself. Cherish your connections. They'll be with you a long time. Well, can you share with us where everyone can keep up with you online? Of course, virginiacantor.com is, you know, the place, but I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. So Virginia Cantra Books and at Virginia Cantra. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Virginia. This was amazing. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful book. Um, I've already read my copy. Thank you to the publisher. <laughs> but I've also already pre-ordered the audiobook because I'm like, I need to listen to this. So <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Can I just give a plug for the audiobook? Yes, please. Because they did an amazing job casting. I was expect. I mean, I've I've had the the privilege of having more than one actor lend their talents to narration before, but not only is the character of D amazing, the producer got a British actor who actually I think was in one of the Harry Potter movies to read oh Tim, yeah. and got an uh, we we auditioned a couple of Irish actors and. Sam is spot on. So I have three narrators. They're all brilliant. And the audio book is a treat. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Virginia. Uh, Bree, this has been a delight. Thank you so much. Mm